All right, all right, all right. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the podcast here on this Saturday, June 25th, 2022. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason why I'm starting my podcast right here, excuse the uh, sound of that Mustang, the reason I'm starting my podcast right here is because I'm doing a story about Susan Smith, October 25th, 1994. Susan Smith came to John D. Long Lake's boat ramp with her children and drove her vehicle down the boat ramp into the lake. Now, at John D. Long's Lake, they took the boat ramp away because in 1997, a family was looking at the mural on the side of the lake and they drove down the boat ramp themselves and their vehicle, something happened with it and it went on into the lake. So they removed the boat ramp. So I'm not gonna assume everybody knows what a boat ramp looks like. So this is a boat ramp. This is not the lake. This is the lake where I, where I, where I live at. This is what the boat ramp looks like. So what she mentioned that she did was drive down this boat ramp, set her vehicle halfway down the ramp and decided whether or not she was just gonna drive into the water. Instead of doing that, she let go of the release brake and let the car go on down the boat ramp into the water. So this is exactly what a boat ramp looks like. So that's why I wanted to start the video here. So without further ado, we'll get back into the rest of the, we'll get into the rest of the story just wanted to show you guys what a boat ramp looks like and when you get the idea and see me and hear me talking about it at that point you understand exactly what I was talking about let's continue from here guys all right I figured we would start our story there at the lake because I'm not of course able to get to John D long lake and I also wanted to show you guys the boat ramp at which the lake I visited so that it brings you a lot more closer to the story before we begin. So early, early, excuse me, the late 80s, about 1988, Susan is working at Winn-Dixie. At Winn-Dixie, she starts an affair with a married man. That affair quickly comes to an end once Susan starts to involve herself with another gentleman. So early on, we see that Susan likes to bounce from man to man and doesn't hold a relationship with one person. Once that affair ended with the married man, Susan threatened to end her life. So we see that Susan, due to detrimental things happening to her uses suicide as a way out and would use suicide to inflict or think that she's inflicting pain on said person who has just inflicted pain on her. Now, before I go any further, I'm not diagnosing Susan with anything. I'm just talking about what can be happening 
in a situation such as this. As I reference Dr. Grande, if you guys don't know who that is, I implore you to check out his YouTube channel. I also have a bachelor's degree in behavioral analysis with a focus on childhood education, but behavioral analysis is something I also focus on as well, just to give you guys a little background. So once Susan ends the affair, once the affair is ended with the older gentleman and Susan no longer is dealing with the other gentleman she was dealing with. In 1990, she starts a relationship with an with a co-worker by the name of David Smith. David, who is already in a relationship with someone, has to end this relationship once Susan becomes pregnant. Now, their first child was not born until November of 1991. So this child that was born had to miscarry, but it ended a relationship that David was already in. Susan and David continued on dating. And once she got pregnant in November of 1991, her and David got married, not due to the fact that they loved one another and not due to the fact that there was a strong connection just due to the fact that Susan had become pregnant and they decided to get married because Susan's parents had a certain disgust for David. Now, during this time that they're both dating, Susan and David are still cheating on each other. So she's cheating as well as he is. Even after their marriage, they're both continuing to have affairs. So about the summer of 1991, they decide to break up. Susan goes on to continue relationships with other men. Her and David decide to get back together about 1992. And then in 1992 of August, excuse me, 1993, we fast forward a little bit of August, they have their second son, Alex. The first son was Michael. When they have their second son, they decide that they'll try to fix their relationship and get together. Due to them getting back together, Susan leaves when Dixie and she starts a new job. At this new job, Susan quickly moves up to secretary of the CEO at the job. As she moves up to the secretary, she becomes close with the CEO's son, Tom Finley. In January of 93, Susan and Tom Finley start to date. They go on many different dates together. They start having many different functions that they that uh that is put together at work that they attend and they attend these functions together as a couple but they're not a couple so about the summer of 1994 
Tom wants to end things with Susan. Excuse me, guys. They started dating January of 94. The summer of 94, Tom decided that he wanted to end things with Susan. There were things that she had going on that Tom did not like. Now, he appreciated her as a friend, but he did not like other things that she had, some personal things that she had, in which he wanted to end their romantic relationship because of those circumstances. So, once they end their relationship, Susan, once again, gets back in a relationship with David. But she still has these deep, passionate feelings for Tom. Fast forward to October. In October of 1994, Susan, already since the summer, has been trying to force her hand and get back in a relationship with Tom. This, to no avail, did not work. So Tom, seeing that Susan consistently and persistent to chase him, decided to write Susan a letter. This after on October 23rd, Susan tried to come to him again and enter into a relationship with him in which he became furious with her pursuits and hence you have the letter. In this letter, Tom explains that Susan is an amazing person and he respects the fact that Susan has given him gifts and that Susan has done things for him that makes him feel very gracious of her friendship. In return, he hadn't been a good person. He hadn't done what she had done for him. And although those things, those gracious things she'd done was enough to make him feel a lot of love and respect for her, they were not enough for him to want a relationship with her due to the fact that she had two children. The children were the biggest problem that she had. He, in such a masterful way, I don't want to say masterful, but in such a decent manner, explained that had she not got pregnant early on in her life, because she went from being a teenager to an early mom, and she was not able to successfully attack the things in life she would have been able to attack had she not gotten pregnant so early. So Tom indirectly told Susan she made a mistake by having two children so early, thus not being able to find a true relationship because she's so mentally disabled. Now, at the time, he had also found out about her having an affair with another married man at the job. He mentions this affair in a letter and also mentioned that Susan has these issues 
maybe because of things that happened early in her childhood and many things she has not battled yet. So upon the element of the two children, you also have the fact that you're a serial cheater. So you cheat frivolously and you have these two children. With that said, we can only be friends and I want no nothing other than a friendship from you because you have a lot you have to work on. Now, deeper in the letter, he becomes a little bit more passionate and a little bit more understanding and tries to use a lot more empathy and sympathy towards Susan. But to end the letter saying she needs to get herself together and he's there for any moral support she may need. Now, this wasn't enough for Susan. She wanted him back. And she explained to one of her co-workers that she was deeply in love with Tom, yet he did not love her due to the fact that she had two children. So her main point in the letter was that he pointed out that her life was in distress because of her two children and she would never find happiness because she has this ailment. And she would never be able to be closer to him because of those two children. So this makes us fast forward to October 25th, 1994. Susan arrives at work with the mindset of trying to coerce Tom to get into another relationship conversation with her. However, Tom kicks her out of his office and she goes back to her desk in distress. Her supervisor walks up to her and asks her what's the issue and she expels what I explained to you guys that she's in love with Tom, basically, and Tom does not love her. So Susan decides to leave. When she leaves, she goes to the daycare center to pick up her two sons. When she goes to the daycare center to pick up her two sons, we go a little fast forward throughout the day and, and Susan calls her supervisor to ask her supervisor if Tom had spoken about her. She also expelled to her supervisor that she's gonna tell Tom that she slept with his dad in order to strike back at him. And there we see Susan trying to use manipulative ways to inflict pain once again. So she's thinking now to inflict pain by saying I slept with your father instead of saying I'm gonna kill myself if you leave me. But once her supervisor explained that Tom did not mention her, Susan left the house once again. Now, according to Susan, she drove around. I got the confession letter. 
But I don't want to read the confession letter to you yet, guys. I want to get to that part. We're going to read it. But according to her, she drove around, went to Walmart, did some shopping to try to clear her mind. She also thought about meeting up with a friend of hers. However, that friend wasn't at home. According to Susan, as she drove around, she stopped at a red light. When she stopped at this red light, she was ambushed by a black man with a gun. This black man told Susan to get out of the vehicle. Oh, excuse me. This black man got in the vehicle and told Susan to drive. While driving, they come upon John D. Long Leak, where this black gentleman kicks her out of the vehicle. She explains to him that her children are in the back and she would like to get them out. But remember, all of this is an account to Susan. The man says to her that she cannot retrieve the children because there's no time. So, in a panic, she left. He drove off. She goes to the home of a couple and their son. And that's where we get this phone call. What kind of car right is it? What we need to know something. We're trying to ask her now. A Mazda protege. What color was it? A burgundy Mazda protege. Get him going, Pam. I got two kids. Okay. That's a black guy, she said. Okay. Black male? Yes, ma'am. You know which way? Do you, do you know which way he went? Does she did it. Ask if she know which way he went. Towards. Did he have a gun? Ask him, did he have a gun? Okay. What did he come back? He's trying to get it out of her now. Did he have any weapons, gun, anything? Did he have a... That look, going towards Chester. Did he have a gun or a weapon in there? Did he have a gun? Yeah. He's got a gun. He's got a gun. Yes, ma'am. Hello? Okay. okay. We're getting him on the way. Okay. Uh, uh, Do you need to tell me anything? Rick McLeod's my name. Do you need us to tell you anything from our yard or anything? Uh, Okay, can you get a tag number out of her? Now, in that phone call, you hear what's being described by Susan as a man, a black man, forcing her out of her vehicle and taking her children. You also hear the dispatcher ask about a weapon. Yes, he has a weapon and to dispatch two vehicles or some vehicles because there were children involved. Automatically, the police are in pursuit. While they're in pursuit and on their way to the house, Susan is still in the company of this couple in distress. So they go searching. And they search and they search. And as they're searching, we get into the next day. On the next day, this story, which started out as something minimal, becomes a nationwide 
search for a black man and two little white kids. Susan then has a press conference pleading and begging for the safe return of her children. Let's get into that. I want to say to my babies that your mama loves you so much and your daddy, these whole families love you so much. And you guys have got to be strong because you are, we, 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 I just know, I just feel in my heart that you're okay, but you got to take care of each other. And your mom and daddy are going to be right here waiting on you when you get home. As you see here, Susan puts on a front to be in distress. She wants the public to believe that as a mother, she's in pain and in agony because her children are not safe right now. And if you notice as she's talking, she almost says something, but catches herself and says something else. She, it's, it's almost as though she was about to say, I know you're with God now. If you listen back to that, you would see she's about to say something of that nature, but she decides to change it up as she fumbles over her words. Days go by and there are many different other interviewers who wants to interview Susan and David. That brings us upon this interview. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm not going to let you see the guy asking her questions. I'm just going to let you watch her mannerism as she answers these questions. Uh, my first reaction is it, it hurts to know that um, that I would be accused or even thought that I would ever do anything to harm my children. As a mother, it's only a natural instinct to protect your children from any harm. And the hardest part of this whole ordeal is not knowing if your children are getting what they need to survive. And... Um, it, it, it hurt. It hurts real bad. Now, as you see in that interview, as well as the last one I showed you, there's still this act that she's putting on that she's appearing to try to be hurt. And another part of that you hear, you don't hear, excuse me, the gentleman asks her, there's speculation that you are involved with the disappearance of your, with the, excuse me, the abduction of your children or the kidnapping of your children. What do you have to say to that? And that's when you hear her expel the reaction to people speculating that she's involved. Now, somewhere else in another video, I've seen that she mentioned that she would never hurt her children or do anything to her children because a man no longer loves her. Her children 
were her life. Her children were her life. Were. Talking as though they're no longer here. Now, Susan was given a polygraph, a lie detector test, and she was given a couple more in which they all came up deficient. David, he passed with flying colors. But Susan, there was a little bit of speculation in her story and there was a little bit of uh, dishonesty in the way that she came off. So the sheriff decided that he was gonna press Susan one more time. And once he pressed her, she confessed. After she confessed, she asked him for his gun so that she could kill herself. But what did Susan confess to? I wanna read the confession letter to you guys. Bear with me, because I want you guys to hear this. When I left my home on Tuesday, October 25th, I was very emotionally distraught. I didn't want to live anymore. I felt like things could never get any worse. When I left home, I was going to ride around a little while. And when, and, and then go to my mom's. As I rode and rode and rode, I felt even more anxiety coming upon me about not wanting to live. I felt I couldn't be a good mom anymore, but I didn't want my children to grow up without a mom. I felt I had to end our lives to protect us all from any grief or harm. I had never felt so lonely and so sad in my entire life. I was in love with someone very much, but he didn't love me and never would. I had a very difficult time accepting that, but I had hurt him very much and I could see why he could never love me. When I was at John D. Long Lake, I had never felt so scared and unsecure as I did then. I wanted to end my life so bad. And was in my car, ready to go down the ramp into the water. And I did go part of the way, but I stopped. I went again and stopped. I then got out of the car and stood by the car, a nervous wreck. Why am I feeling this way? 
Why was everything so bad in my life? I had no answers to these questions. I dropped to the lowest when I allowed my children to go down that ramp into the water without me. I took off running and screaming, Oh God, oh God, no, what have I done? Why did I let this happen? I wanted to turn around so bad and go back, but I knew it was too late. And I was an absolute mental case. I couldn't believe what I had done. I love my children with all my heart. That will never change. I pray to them for forgiveness and I hope they will find it in their heart to forgive me. I never mean to hurt them. I am sorry for what had happened and I know that I need some help. I don't think I will ever be able to forgive myself for what I have done. My children, Michael and Alex, with our lovely, with our is with our heavenly Father now, and I know that they will never be hurt again. As a mom, that means more than words could ever say. I knew from day one, the truth would prevail. But I was so scared, I didn't know what to do. It was very emotion tough emotionally to sit and watch my family hurt like they hurt like they did. It was time to bring a peace of mind to everyone, including myself. My children deserve to have the best. And now they will. I broke down on Thursday, November 3rd and told Sheriff Howard Wells the truth. It wasn't easy, but after the truth was out, I felt like I felt like the world was lifted off of my shoulders. I know now that it's going to be tough and long and a long road ahead of me. At this very moment, I don't feel I will be able to handle what's going on. But I have prayed to God that he gives me the strength to survive each day and to face these times and situations in my life that will be entirely, extremely painful. I have put my total faith in God and he will take care of me. This was written by Susan Smith on 11 3rd, 11 3, 1994. That's her confession letter, guys. That entails everything that happened that night on October 25th. When she decided to go to John D. Long Lake, drive to the boat ramp like I showed you guys earlier in the video, go part of the way, then she got out.
put the handbrake on, stood outside with the car, and as you see, she was distraught. She was a total mental case. And she said to herself, for some reason she don't know why, but she released the handbrake and let her children go into the water. And as she watched her children go into the water, she thought to herself, oh God, what have I done? What have I done? But I know they're in a better place now. They will no longer be in pain and they will no longer feel hurt. But I'm going to be okay. God is going to protect me. I'm ready to take on all of the backlash that I'm going to receive from the world once they find out what I have done. Never mind the fact I have caused discomfort in the community of blacks. I've put anger in the hearts of America in which this anger has them possibly disliking black people because at that time, O.J. Simpson had allegedly killed Nicole Simpson. At that time, Rodney King was beat down in Los Angeles. At that time, another man, a white man, accused a black man of shooting his wife in which he was the one to shoot his wife. So during this this time, the mid-90s, there were a lot of crimes being blamed on black people. So it would be easier for America to believe that a black man would kidnap two white children in the middle of nowhere in Union, South Carolina. Leaving a mother to be confused, upset, and mad due to his acts. For it all to come out to be a lie. Let's move on to the final part and move on to what I'm going to give to you guys because of this story. Now, everything else about the story, guys, I'm going to leave a link to uh, a video I did when I was doing my research. If you guys want to learn more about the case and more about the things that happened in between, I'll leave that video in a link in the description for you guys to check out. I'm only focusing on the lust, the lies, and the murder part of this story. So that's where my focal point lied at. And now that we understand that the lust, which brought on the lies, now we understand why her children were murdered. I'm going to give you my understanding of what I think Susan was thinking while she sat there on that boat ramp. Susan, at the time, knew that Tom Finley did not want children. She knew that. She focused more on the fact that he mentioned she had two children 
and that was the reason why he didn't want to be with her. Never mind the fact he didn't want children at all because children, when you have them, they cause you to not be able to focus on the major parts of your life. After he mentioned the, her not having the children, he mentioned an abundance of happiness that would come along if there were no children involved. So because of these children, he had to end things in her mind. So once she looked in the car at her children, at the one thing that was keeping her away from her true love, she figured, let me get rid of them in this lake. There will be no way for anyone to find them once they go into the lake. Because if you think about it, had the sheriff not been so adamant about this made-up black guy that she created. There would have continued to be a nationwide search for this gentleman and those kids. She was possibly hoping that in the mayhem they would eventually give up and stop searching or whatever she was thinking in her mind, her twisted state. Also during this time, Tom Finley express, expresses concern for the children who have been kidnapped. And Susan took that opportunity to try and get in a relationship with him. Basically saying, those children are gone now. Let's focus on us. Tom told Susan to focus on the matter at hand, which is the children. So we see there, she got rid of those children. I don't want to say it like that. She murdered those children so that she can get in a relationship with Tom because she felt as though if those children are no longer around, me and him can find true happiness and I get to start my life over because I no longer have children. Remember what I said? He said in his letter that she ruined her life by having children early. So now if she starts her life over by getting rid of her children, she at least gets to start over fresh and have a new life and her children will be okay. They're with God now. They no longer have to worry about a mother who don't love them, who doesn't want them and wants more out of life than them. So they can go ahead into the arms of God where he would protect them and I would be able to sit down here on earth and enjoy my life the way that I wanted to go. Guys, what we see here is a person who focused more on their own happiness, a narcissistic person, and took less feeling into their children and put more feeling into their love interests. 
Now you may ask yourself, or you might be asking yourself, or I implore you to ask yourself, how often does this happen? There was a story of a lady in 2001. How often do mothers kill their children? There was a story in 2001 of another woman who drowned all five of her children because she believed that they were possessed by the devil. Her name is not coming to me right now. However, I do have her picture right here and her name. I'm posting the picture as I edited this video, of course. Her name is not coming to me, but you see her name and her picture right now. She murdered her five children because she believed that they were possessed by the devil. Her story is different from Susan's. As Susan, let's move this picture along and bring back the picture of Michael and Alex. Susan murdered her children because she believes <clears throat> her children kept her from her love interest. She wanted to go ahead and commit suicide completely, but decided that the children had to go. Now, that's all bogus because she never thought about committing suicide. She thought about getting rid of those two boys and moving on in a relationship with Tom. Remember the married gentleman that wanted that ended things with her and she wanted to commit suicide. You have a lot of people, guys, who you would end things with them. And once you end things with them, they'll tell you, I'll kill myself if you leave me. Or I'll kill myself after, you left, after you've left them. This is a way of trying to get you to come back into the relationship with them. But them telling you that they'll kill themselves if you don't like them should be a red flag for you to no longer deal with them. It should also be a red flag for you to move on and no longer have any communication with them. But how do you move on without assuring that this person doesn't harm themselves? And if they have children, they don't harm their children. Well, right now, next to me is the physical abuse hotline and the national suicide hotline. Reach out to both of these places. Speak with someone about the situation. Tell them what has been said to you and let them know they might want to contact the person immediately. Give them the person's number. Don't hesitate. Don't worry about their privacy and their secrecy and different things of that nature at that moment because you don't want them to harm themselves. I have a quick story. A friend of mine, I consider a brother, broke up with a female. This female told him after the breakup that she was gonna harm herself. He was in another city and couldn't get to her in time, so he called me and said, you might wanna go check up on her. She just told me she's gonna harm herself because of this breakup. When I showed up to the house, I heard moaning inside. I banged on the door, I banged on the door. Eventually she made it to the door. 
I explained to her that I was there to help. I know that you have your daughter inside. Can you please let me in so I can see what's going on? Only thing I heard was moaning and grumping. But she had the willpower to open the door. Once she opened the door, I pushed the door open and she was in distress. She had taken some pills. I had already called the ambulance previously, so they showed up about five minutes after me. And they explained that she'll be all right. Maybe in the morning she'll have a stomachache. But had she ingested any more pills, this would be a different conversation. And this would definitely have been a different call. Guys, I mean gentlemen, we don't know, and it's not our fault, if we end things with someone and they want to end their lives. We just have to be more careful in the beginning and ask the right questions to find out if we're dealing with someone who has low self-esteem, who has narcissistic ways, who has had suicidal thoughts in the past, and who expels a behavior that's worrisome. We have to ask important questions in the beginning. Ladies, if you know you're the type of person who cannot take rejection, who cannot go on because you've been rejected, who cannot go no further because the pain is just too much. First off, you might want to seek counsel. You may want to start seeing a psychiatrist. You may need to get medicated because there's something more going on than the fact that you just have been hurt and you've just been disconnected from love. Take the time to do what you have to do to take care of your mental health. Now, I'm not just going to attack the women on that because they are there are men. I just did a story about Trouble the Rapper who was shot by one Jermichael Jones because Jermichael Jones noticed upon his arrival that his relationship with said with a female was now over. So he inflicted pain and death on someone because of his pain. Gentlemen, if you cannot take a disconnection in a relationship, you as well may want to seek someone to speak with. Someone that will help you get through this dark cloud that you have surrounding you. You should not enter a relationship if your brain is in a storm. Because once that thunderstorm starts to erupt, there are going to be things that you're going to do that may either cost you 
death or harm or cause someone else death or harm. I hope this podcast makes sense. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to check out the podcast today, June 25th, 2022. Hopefully something in this story and something in this podcast has sparked a thought in someone's mind that they need help and they need help today and they will receive help if they reached out to either of these numbers. With your understanding, compared with my understanding, we can create a greater understanding. You've been listening to Relationship Stuff 101 podcast, watching the Purple Pill Perspective here on YouTube. I've been your host, Shahir Henderson. You guys have a great rest of your Saturday, a great rest of your weekend, and we'll see you next time. Peace out.